When facing a family law matter, it can feel like an overwhelming and never-ending court process. It's vital to know that things will look better on the other side if you hire legal counsel with the skill and compassion to help. At Stangy Law Firm, we represent clients in difficult family law matters every day. Visit FamilyLawRepresentation.com to schedule your consultation. That's FamilyLawRepresentation.com. Stangy Law Firm, here to help you rebuild your life. Stangy Law Firm has an office in Wichita. Kirk Stangy, 120 South Central Avenue, Suite 450 Clayton, Missouri. Welcome to the Miles to Memories podcast. I'm Sean Coomer, your host, joined by Joe Chung from As the Joe Flies and our special guest, Leslie Harvey from Trips with Tykes. As you have seen from the title, when you clicked on this show in your podcast app, this is our Disney show for 2023. All the Disney planning, both of these uh, fine people co-host the Disney Deciphered podcast, one of the best Disney planning podcasts. So we're going to talk about Walt Disney World, Disneyland, trip planning, travel hacking, all of that good stuff. Welcome, Leslie. Glad to have you here. Glad to be back. Thanks for having me again. And, uh, you know, Joe, good to see you again. Hey, what's up? <laughs> happy New Year. This is the first time we yes, have officially talked on the recording. So happy New Year, Sean. Happy New Year to both of you. And I'm excited, as anybody who listens to this show knows, anytime we can talk Disney, that gets me very, very excited. So I'm happy for that. And there's a lot that's changed at Disney, even in the last year, I think, since we talked. We did our last show in November of 2021, sort of previewing 2022 and so much has changed in the parks and and everything and selfishly i'm actually going to disneyland next week and then disney world in a few weeks so i'm really happy to get your insider information before i visit because i haven't kept up on all of the changes with especially at disney world it's pretty crazy these days with all of the planning you have to do right yeah it really is i mean i think since the reopening since the end of the pandemic or somewhat into the pandemic. Everything is just a lot harder at Disney World and the learning curve is steep, even for people who have gone a lot like you, Sean. Yeah. I mean, there's just so much that you have to do. I really hate planning. I remember the old days, you know, you just go to the park, you know, maybe there's, there's paper fast passes. So you just have to plan your day out. But now it just seems like you have to plan everything out from park reservations. And we'll get into all of that. But I think the the fun place to start would be with new attractions. And we'll start at Walt Disney World, then we'll talk about Disneyland, because I feel like they're two separate things. They have different rules. There is some similarity, but uh, they can be very different. So we'll talk about them separately. But I think to start the show, let's talk about what's new for 2023 in Walt Disney World. 2022 saw the opening of the Guardians of the Galaxy roller coaster at Epcot. I haven't ridden it yet. Have both of you guys been on it? We went on it together. Um, I guess Joe beat me by by a few minutes because he went on it before I got into the park that day with our sons. And uh, Joe's son, it was a big hit. My son, not as much of a coaster fan, not a big hit. But I think it's one of Disney's best. I, I think you've probably been on um, Crush's Coaster, right, Sean, in Disneyland Paris? Yeah. It has some elements that are borrowed from that, but I'd say even maybe a little bit of an improvement upon that. Obviously, a totally different theme, but uh, really, really enjoyed it and can't wait to ride it again. I'm headed to Disney World in just a few days, actually, so we'll get to ride it without a scared nine-year-old. I think you'll be there when this comes out, Leslie, and yeah. It'll be uh, good for you to ride that attraction without having to cover 
your son's eyes the entire time, uh, which is how I think Leslie experienced it on her first trip. Um, and then in 2023, actually, last week, we just released our uh, What's Coming in 2023 episode that we do every year, where we also talk about good times to visit. And we did Disney World and Disneyland this year, which you can, of course, find searching Disney Deciphered wherever podcasts are found. The big thing, which I know you're excited about, Sean, although you've already written it, is the Tron Life Cycle Run roller coaster which is coming to the magic kingdom and of course sean you've ridden to that at shanghai disneyland but uh leslie and i well at least me i have a plan for it to go uh sometime this year and we'll see if leslie gets back in 2023 to try it it's opening they say spring so my best guess is they'll let start doing previews in like march or april and it'll be open by may yeah it seems like they're already doing some filming and other stuff there i've i've seen some promotional stuff coming out of there. Although they could be using the Shanghai footage. I don't know. But yeah, it is a clone of the Shanghai attraction. They, didn't they announce that ride in 2017? So it's only taken them a good five and a half years to build it. Well, they just reopened the train and that's been closed for over four years. And so I think that coincides with when they started construction on the roller coaster. And yes, there was a pandemic, but uh, I think they're taking the sweet time. I'm pretty sure that if we wanted to, we could ride it right now, but they're for whatever get guests in the park purposes holding off the opening for a couple more months yeah tron is a great coaster i really like it i think it's disney at its best but it's not a revolutionary in any way so it's not a ride that it should take five years to build but yeah i think it was more budget and COVID and all of that but when we're talking about what's new in 2023 is epcot still basically completely torn up through the middle because you know they finally opened the guardians coaster the space 220 restaurant which is their Really cool restaurant where it simulates that you're going what into you go on a space elevator and then you're eating at a restaurant in space that opened. But the whole middle of the park's been torn up since what 2018, 19. Is that going to open in 2023? Are we going to finally get Epcot back to kind of normal? We don't have any dates yet. <laughs> I mean, I think we're both hopeful that things are going to start improving and walls have moved at least. And, you know, certain places have, have been completed, like the entrance. The walls are all down right around the entrance. So that's something. But I don't think we really know. I think a lot depends on, you know, budget, uh, recession, all of that, um, how motivated they are to really get that out and what the guests look like. I mean, that's been part of the problem this year is or these last couple of years is that Disney has a lot of holes and a lot of things that need fixing, but they're mostly filling the parks. And I guess until people start res responding with their wallets, maybe the, the fire won't be lit under Disney quite as much. And it costs more than ever to go to Disney. And we'll talk about that through, you know, talking about Genie Plus and Lightning Lane and all the things you have to pay for that you sort of got for free before, not to mention increased ticket prices, but finishing out on like the new stuff and the rides Splash Mountain is closing, what, just in a couple weeks for a couple years to go down to become Tiana's Bayou Adventure. So that's another kind of thing on the horizon. And didn't Disney World launch two new shows, one at Epcot, Harmonious, and then one at Magic Kingdom? And aren't they scrapping both of those shows going forward? And do we know what they're going to bring in replace? I think over at uh, Magic Kingdom, they're bringing back Happily Ever After, their old show, right? Yeah, it's called uh, Not Throwing Good Money After Bad, Sean, I think is what uh, Disney decided. They are bringing back Happily Ever After, and actually, you know, Leslie and I record our What's Coming in 2023 episode in 2022, so of course, all these updates made some of the stuff we say said a little bit obsolete. We weren't sure at the time whether they were just going to bring the song back. Their newest line is, 
it's like a reimagined or updated version of Happily Ever After. So that should be the same as the old show. And they haven't said a single thing about what's going to replace Harmonious in Epcot. But uh, those barges that uh, we all know and hate, those should be going regardless. Unless they find some way to turn those barges into Voltron and come up with something new and spectacular that might make it worth it. Still not worth it. The view is terrible. I think I feel like you gave me so much crap early on with those barges and hating them. And now I feel like you've just come to full hate of the barges. I don't think you hated them so much in the beginning. Whoa, slow down. I don't I don't hate them, but it's not it's not worth harmonious. Like I, I can deal with them, but it's not worth harmonious. And yes, over time, you realize, you know, you realize what you miss that, you know, the serenity of the peaceful lake. You know, it's gone now because there's these gigantic dinosaur robot barges in the middle of the in the middle of the water it sort of feels like a dystopian epcot with those big metal things yeah glad to see those go there's a lot there but you know not a ton right because guardians was announced years ago tron was announced five years ago there's some stuff in epcot but that's been going on for years so there's not a ton of like blockbuster attractions to look forward to at the same time that you know universal's building epic universe and we have a lot of new stuff coming to orlando but that's a topic for another show because I think that it's really important to talk about trip planning for Walt Disney World. You just can't show up there anymore. It's just not really possible. To start, they have theme park reservations, right? So you have to reserve a park ahead of time. And that's the park that you have to visit on that day, right? So Leslie, could you just uh, explain a little bit how the park reservations work at Walt Disney World? And maybe some tips for people who have never kind of navigated that system before. Sure. So when you get a ticket, you need to make a reservation for the park that you plan to start in each day. And that's your park. And, you know, like you do have to plan in advance because the parks will book up specifically and especially um, Magic Kingdom and Hollywood Studios. Those two tend to book up before Epcot and Animal Kingdom. But it does, of course, depend on how busy of a time of year you're going in, you know, how far in advance you need to make sure you make those reservations. And then once you enter the park, then at two o'clock, if you have a park hopper ticket, you can hop to other parks. But you do have to enter the park that you first reserved. So there's no sleeping in and going to some other park at two. It creates a lot of ridiculousness for people, like people having to, you know, take the monorail to the Magic Kingdom, scan in, walk back out, you know, take the monorail to Epcot, you know, things like that for for folks who are trying to just have a little flexibility on their vacation. So that's really that's really the big thing I think is just sort of being aware of the reservations and being aware of the park hopping limitations. I mean, tickets are a whole nother ball of wax. You know, they're date-based ticketing, you know, based upon the day that your ticket starts, it costs a different price. It's very, very complex. And, you know, there are some ways, I guess, to sort of hack it around the margins and maybe buy a ticket that starts for us a different day uh, to save a little bit of money. But but it's it's really quite confusing. I mean, Joe and I get confused and we do this day in and day out. Yeah. And when Leslie is talking about saving a little bit of money, she's talking about tens of dollars for a family of four like Max. So actually, Leslie, I don't even think you know this, but uh, I was under embargo. But when this comes out, it's not embargo. I think Disney did another stealth ticket price increase today as we were recording to go along with uh, this offer that they're doing for a dining card. So it's a mess. I do have a hot tip. If you don't have a park reservation, if you can book a VIP tour, which starts at $4,000, they will get you whatever park reservation you want. So just a hot tip for you out there. 
uh, you know, drop four thousand dollars on a VIP tour, and uh, you can get a park reservation. I just learned that a couple weeks ago. Ridiculous, but that's uh, what people listen to this show for. Those kinds of those kinds of hot tips. Yeah, I mean, you gotta you gotta spend money to save money, Sean. Uh, is is the bad saying, um, but yeah, the reality is it is frustrating that you have to at the very least know where you're going in advance uh, for Disney now, and you have to start thinking about these things beforehand. Um, unless you're going, one thing that has changed that I think we did a recording a similar episode a couple of years ago. One thing that has changed is like a couple of years ago, I think Leslie and I would have said you can't just show up in Florida ever because you don't know whether they're going to be park reservations or not. Nowadays, the park reservation system is better in that you could show up and probably get park reservations day of for most of times in the year. But obviously, the things you, the times you think you wouldn't be able to get them, Christmas, Easter, July 4th, you're still not going to be able to get them. But if you go on like a random off week, um, you should be able to do it more last minute, which wasn't true a year and a half ago. This is damning with faint praise, though. So one of the like moves in the travel space has been like hidden fees, like resort fees and all of this. And I feel like Disney has implemented Genie Plus as sort of a, a similar thing to that. I know it's not mandatory that you use Genie Plus, but Genie Plus is sort of their replacement for FastPass, which used to be free. And I guess my question to you is, is it possible to really enjoy the parks to get on, you know, a, a decent number of attractions when you're not using Genie Plus? And what is the current cost? of Genie Plus as an add-on to your daily ticket? So it is possible to enjoy the parks without Genie Plus, but I'd say only if you're going at a low crowd time of year. You can't go Christmas week and skip Genie Plus. And even with Genie Plus, it's going to be pretty <laughs> miserable at certain times and places. So, I mean, it's kind of it's kind of a conundrum because if you have to go, if you're tied to a school schedule because you have kids, if you have to go at a high crowd time of year, you're going to pay more already because it's a popular time of year to go. And then you're going to pay more on top of that for all of the extras to make the experience manageable. So, you know, for folks who are flexible, this is, I guess, a boon to you because you really can save money in a lot of different ways. But for folks like my family, where we're going summertime or spring break or something like that, our hands are kind of tied. But yes, Genie Plus is now variable in pricing. It starts at $15, but it's gone up to as high, I think, as 29 right, Joe? Yeah, that's correct. 29. I would also add to what Leslie is saying. Leslie and I should explain that we are very ride oriented people. And so when we go to Disney World, like our focus is on the rides. But the reality is when you're paying $140 for a ticket, you are not paying $140 for rides. You're paying for entertainment, parades, fireworks, shows, even in the busy times. If you don't buy Genie Plus and you're cool with experiencing those other parts of Disney, just sitting down and eating, people watching, you know, then you're going to have a good time. But most people are there to do attractions, to see characters, which some of those are in Genie Plus as well. It's tough to get through the day without waiting in a lot of lines if you don't have Genie Plus. Of course, with the advent of smartphones and things like that, and Disney has some moderately entertaining that's very uh that's much of an exaggeration but moderately entertaining stuff on their disney play parks app you can have the kids kill time in line um and you know it's good for them to build a little bit of character waiting in line but genie plus is going to make your life a lot easier one thing you can do is if you're there for like four or five days is load up all your ride days on two or three of the days and get genie plus for those days and then the other days enjoy all the other stuff 
I like the way you spun that, Joe. It's uh, bigger lines, but that's better for your kids to, you know, to paint Bill's character, right? Bill's so. character, Calvin Hobbes. Yep, yep. <laughs> All right, so what is the process of buying Genie Plus? Because isn't there a certain times when it becomes available? And I've sort of lost track of what the rules are here over the last uh, year. It's too bad we don't do this on video anymore, Sean, because the amount of times Leslie and I have shook our heads in this episode is... Uh... Quite a few, but Leslie, take this one. All right. So at Disney World, you used to be able to buy it for the length of your ticket if you wanted it for every day of your vacation, but no longer. Now you have to buy it each day and it doesn't go on sale until midnight. And then you start booking rides with it at 7 a.m. So that's not a lot of time to sleep and it can sell out. Um, It doesn't really practically happen that often, but it means a lot of people, you know, stay up until midnight and then set their alarms for 645 to get up and start booking the rides. So it's not ideal. It's not the same at Disneyland. We should point out you can buy it for a length of ticket at Disneyland if you'd like. And that's what I tend to do because I don't want to stay up till midnight. Yeah, that's it's insane. And it always so many changes over the past few years at Disney World or with Disney in general. I always wonder if the manager's use the product, right? Do they ever like sit there and try to buy a Genie Plus and then understand that, you know, at 7 a.m. they got to wake up? Even if you're going to have those policies with restricted times and stuff, it seems like they could make it not midnight, right? But Disney has some technological challenges sometimes too. So I wonder how that all plays into it. I did just recently buy my Disneyland ticket and yeah, I was able to add Genie Plus ahead of time, which was nice, not having to worry about it. It's, It's sort of Felt like the old days with Max Pass at Disneyland where you just add it on your ticket when you buy it. And uh, that seemed a lot nicer. So you got to wake up at 7 a.m. And you you really want to, right? Because all the best rides are going to get taken pretty quickly if you don't, right? Definitely. You know, Slinky Dog Dash, Peter Pan, Jungle Cruise is really popular right now. Uh, Frozen Ever After at Epcot. All those rides are going to be gone. You know, pretty, it's not as bad. I will say that, One reason why Disney went to variable pricing and not allowing you to add it to your full length of ticket at Disney World is to reduce the number of people having Genie Plus. Since that has happened, it's only like Slinky Dog where consistently before the parks even open, it's sold out. Um, So it's not as bad, but really there's a lot of attractions that you're going to want to get early. Otherwise, you don't get them at all or you get a return time for like 7 p.m. or something like that. We should also note that... um, Disneyland is also a little bit different in that you cannot buy, if you don't have Genie Plus on your length of ticket, you can't buy it until you enter the park. But I also want to note, um, and this is where it gets confusing for non-Disney people, at Walt Disney World, Genie Plus is a necessary evil. At Disneyland, Genie Plus is a legitimately good product. And it's tough to, you know, people don't, people call the Disney park in Florida, Disneyland all the time. But of course that we know that's Disney world, but it's important to know that in Disneyland genie plus works. Whereas in Disney world, you kind of need to use it to have a better experience, but I wouldn't quite say it's a uh, good product. So before we go on to Disneyland, cause I want to talk about my beloved Disneyland. What are the, the rules? Like how often can you select rides with genie plus? Uh, what are the rules for it's single You only get one use per attraction. Is that right? Any other kind of tips for people? The bottom line is you can book a ride as soon as you use the ride you've already booked. So if you get a lightning lane at 
9 a.m. and the return time is at 9.05 and you scan into that ride, you can book your next one. That doesn't happen very often. So, but practically speaking, if you can sort of move through the rides quickly, that's the best way to do that. And, and Magic Kingdom is the best park to do that as well. But if, for example, you book a ride at 9 o'clock and the return time isn't until 1 p.m., four hours later, you can book your next ride two hours later. So you have a waiting time of no more than two hours between rides. And practically speaking, that ends up being what most people use most of the time, the two-hour rule. And one nice update that Genie Plus has had, one of the few, is that now you can modify your Genie Plus Lightning Lanes. So in Leslie's example, if I booked Slinky Dog for 1 p.m., but magically, Slinky Dog is a bad example because this would never happen for that. But let's say um, Soren, I booked it for 1 p.m., Soren is a ride at Epcot that's popular, but not Slinky Dog Dash popular. If I see Soren show up at 12 noon, I can hit a modify button now on my Genie Plus Lightning Lane and change it to 12 p.m. Um, and that also doesn't reset my two-hour clock if I'm waiting for the two hours. So um, that's a positive change that you can do now. And if you're familiar with the old FastPass system, you were able to modify FastPasses, and it's just like that. So they just gave you back a, a feature that used to exist under their free service. How nice of them. It's the, uh, it's the Disney way, Sean, and we yeah. thank them for it. So there's one other aspect to this, and that's Lightning Lane. That's paid Lightning Lanes, which is separate from Genie Plus, and that's for the really popular attractions like Rise of the Resistance, the uh, big Star Wars ride at Hollywood Studios, and that works completely separate, right? Basically, you're just paying a fee to skip the line one time, and what what are the costs of that, and which rides are uh, available on Lightning Lane? We're going to correct him. So is it not Lightning Lane? What is it? I, it's, I, it's, yeah. it's so confusing. It's, the, <laughs> the way that it's been explained to us by Brooke McDonald, which we always have to cite her, is that you want to think of Lightning Lane as the physical line that you go through, the short line that you walk through. That's Lightning Lane. To get access gotcha. to that, you either use Genie Plus or what they call individual attraction selection, but everyone calls it individual Lightning Lane now, which is why everyone always screws it up. But the way Leslie and I think about it is there are four a la carte attractions that you have to pay for separately on top of Genie Plus. Currently, that's Rise of the Resistance, Seven Dwarfs Mine Train, Flight of Passage, the Avatar attraction at Animal Kingdom, and Gardens of the Galaxy, Cosmic Rewind, the new roller coaster at Epcot that we talked about. I think it'll be those four, except for when Tron comes online, I'm guessing Seven Dwarfs is going to drop off and go to regular Genie Plus, and Tron is going to be the new individual attraction selection, the new individual lightning lane. Those prices are variable as well. They start at $8 for like seven dwarfs on a boring day. And we've seen that as high as 25 at Walt Disney World, I think. 30 at Disneyland for sure for Rise of the Resistance. Man, all that terminology is just, uh, just makes your head spin. But I get it. So the lightning lane is the actual line itself. It's the lane that you access the attraction. That's used to be like the fast pass line in the old days. I yeah, I need to apologize for being so pedantic, so annoying, but people get confused. So yeah, no, it, it's, it's crazy. I, I feel like they could have set up this system in a much easier way. And I, I don't know if it's by design or, uh, or what, but it, it does make your head spin. So thanks for, for correcting that. Before we move on to Disneyland, I wanted to say, what is your favorite attraction for each of you at Walt Disney World? That is really tough right now. I mean, I, I think Cosmic Rewind might be up there for me once I get to ride it without worrying about a child who's scared. I mean, Flight of Passage to me still is 
one of Disney's very best. I mean, I have my favorites at Disneyland, but I'll stick to Disney World for now. Uh, it's it's really just unique. Um, you're for those who haven't ridden it, you are straddling a banshee from the Avatar movie, which is basically like a motorcycle like vehicle. So there are not a lot of attractions that are like that. It is screen based, which I think some people do have trouble with, especially if they have you know vertigo or, or different kinds of motion sickness. But it's better than the screen based attractions that you'll find at sort of most second tier theme parks. It's really just exhilarating. Um, I still don't get enough of that attraction. I, I I don't love Animal Kingdom. There's no secret about it being my least favorite park, but I will go to Animal Kingdom just to ride that attraction. Yeah, Flight of Passage is a good shout. And I would say Rise of the Resistance is probably my favorite Disney ride, but it's on both parks. It's on both coasts. Um, so I won't count that. So what I would say is my favorite Walt Disney World attraction is the People Mover. Uh, as my son says, it is a chill ride. It is just, you know, it's an elevated, slow-moving train ride through Tomorrowland. And I just love to sit there and chill. And there's never longer than like a 15-minute line for it. And my son loves it. I love it. You know, we just relax, especially at night. Uh, it's a great ride. So that's, I mean, that is like the ride that I always go on when I'm at Walt Disney World. I love Flight of Passage, but I don't always get on it because I don't always want to pay for it. Same with Rise of the Resistance. But People Mover, I'm always there every time. It's funny because it seems like People Mover had like a resurgence in popularity the last few years. I grew up at Disneyland with the Disneyland People Mover, and it was always my favorite ride. Like at that point of the day, you know, where you were tired to go sit there, float around. They had like a Tron part of it, and it went through all through Tomorrowland. And I remember the first time I went to Magic Kingdom and seeing the People Mover, and it sort of gave me memories of that 1980s Disneyland Tomorrowland, although it's much bigger so in that vein, I'll say Carousel of Progress is my my favorite attraction at uh, Walt Disney World because Walt touched it himself. No, because it is a cool attraction. I do hope they update it, but I still love that that historic attraction is there considering we're, we're picking unique things to there. But let's talk about Disneyland. So you did talk a little bit about how Genie Plus works different in Disneyland compared to Walt Disney World. But Joe, I wanted you to elaborate on why you think Genie Plus is a good product at Disneyland and it works really well and why it doesn't at Disney World. What is the main difference causing that? Yeah, so the main difference is distance. Um, Disneyland is such a much more compact park. And I will say, let me give Disney World some credit. At Magic Kingdom, Genie Plus is fine. There's like 18 or something attractions on it. You can use easily eight in a day. Genie Plus is, you're going to feel like it was worth the money to pay for it at Magic Kingdom. But the problem with Disney World is... Animal Kingdom only has like six or seven attractions that you can use Genie Plus for. Hollywood Studios has six that are like real attractions, but two of them are going to be gone before 10 a.m. Epcot, same kind of deal. And you have to travel like 40 minutes between each of the parks. And that's such a pain. Whereas at Disneyland, what is it now, Leslie? It's like 20 attractions at Disneyland and 13 at California Adventure. And there are a five-minute walk between the parks. So you have 33 attractions ish uh, not that many you still have a ton <laughs> you have a ton of it's, attractions it's, go ahead it's a 20 it's 20 total um but roger rabbit is closed right now because doontown is closed but but it's a lot and they're they're all right there next to each other yeah. uh okay so there's not 33 but it feels like there's 33 genie plus lightning lanes that you can get and the reality is i mean leslie has done it you can do all and there was 20 when you did it right leslie you can do all 20 attractions that are on Genie Plus in one day at Disneyland 
and not even go the entire day. Like Leslie stopped for dinner and for lunch and she like relaxed and she recorded a bonus episode of our podcast. You know, she was chilling and she did all 20 attractions on Genie Plus. That's something you cannot do at Walt Disney World. So it's just so much more worth it at Disneyland because you can actually use the product and know for sure that you're going to use it enough times to make it feel like it was worth it. So let's talk about new attractions. So Disneyland being in the Southern California market, they're about to have a huge amount of competition from Universal Studios, which is opening Super Mario World uh, next month in February of uh, 2023. And what feels sort of like their reaction to that is a redo of Toontown. As you said, it's closed right now. And the addition of Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, which already exists in Hollywood Studios. I think it opened in, what, 2020, early 2020 or 2019. So Disneyland getting some new stuff. We'll talk a little bit about why in a minute, why Disneyland is the best park overall uh, out of all the six parks we're talking about today, because it really has all the Star Wars stuff. You're getting Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. It has all the classic attractions. So you can get so much there. But uh, what exactly is happening with Toontown? Obviously, they're opening the Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, but they sort of redoing the entire area as well, right? Yeah, that's right. So they're doing a reimagining of Toontown. It had gotten a little bit dated and certain things weren't really the best use of space. And so they're adding this Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway, and that is going to open on January 27th, so really soon. But Toontown itself won't be finished until a little bit later. That'll open March the 8th. And, you know, it really just will just give a a big dark ride um, that moves a lot of people um, to the park give a lot more play space for, you know, families with younger kids. Toontown is still a hit with my kids and they're 13 and nine now. (laughs) So I think we'll get at least maybe one more trip out of uh, them enjoying it, um, the new version. But, you know, it it does feel like Disneyland is already a pretty full-fledged park by itself and adding another big dark ride to it is, you know, icing on the cake for Disneyland, make it work that much more efficiently. And, And like Joe said, you know, it might change what rides are on genie plus versus paid lightning lane and you know we'll we'll see or just give people more options about how they want to spend their money maybe they want to spend it on mickey and minnie's but they don't want to spend it on rise of the resistance or vice versa or something like that so it gives people more options to do things a la carte which i'm excited about yeah i don't think it's a coincidence that disney moved up the opening date of mickey and minnie's runaway railway to before super nintendo world opened at universal especially considering that they haven't finished toontown that it's still going to be a couple months for the land to reopen, even when they opened Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. So that sort of tells you they were probably in a rush. I think that Super Nintendo World is going to be a huge amount of competition for them uh, with the Mario Kart ride there. And that's uh, that's looking really good. But I'm excited to have Mickey and Minnie's Runaway Railway. And I'm excited how they did it because they didn't have to take anything out. They were able to incorporate it into Toontown by destroying some buildings on the you know in the backstage area. So it's just basically adding capacity to Disneyland, which will help with the crowds and everything else, although not adding more pathways. So on busy days, Disneyland is still probably one of the worst places to be. If you're if you're there when it's at capacity, yeah, you don't want to be there. If you're there when it's at capacity, just leave Disneyland and thank yourself later. I want to go a little bit more into trip planning and travel hacking and kind of how people can save money these days on tickets and, and other things. But real quickly, what are the annual pass situations? Because in the past, that is one of the best ways that I sort of saved money is I would get an annual pass and then I would visit as much as I could over the year and then maybe let it go for a couple years. But 
Am I right that in Walt Disney World, unless you're a Florida resident, there are no annual pass options? And then in Disneyland, they now call annual passes magic keys. What's the option there? What's the cost? As of right now, there are no options, more or less. So the Florida resident one, the only one you can get, if even if you're a Florida resident, is the weekday only pass. Um, which isn't great. And then in Disneyland, they reopened Magic Key sales for, it lasted for 24 hours, maybe 48 for some of the less popular ones. And those sold out very quickly as well. So Disney has really, I, I do expect if the economy downturns, I do expect them to put annual passes both at Disneyland and Disney World back on sale um, because they use that to fill the parks when people aren't going otherwise. But the demand is still so high post-pandemic for Disney that they can sell people tickets um, a la carte without annual pass and people will buy them. So that's kind of the status right now. Yeah, and in fact, they blocked out all Magic Keys at Disneyland for the last two weeks of 2022 and the parks were pretty darn full um, with just people buying, you know, regular one, two, three day tickets. And that was not a great experiment for those of us who want to be magic key holders. I mean, at Disneyland, they do at least have um, Southern California resident discounts fairly regularly. So that's something if you happen to live in Southern California, that's great for you. Um, not great for me. I live in the Bay Area, so I'm just outside of the zip code range. But but at least, um, you know, there are some ways to save for some folks. Disneyland's also been running discounted tickets for like, I know like in January, like I'm going next week on a Wednesday and the ticket for a one day ticket was like 109, which is a significant discount over the normal price. And I think it was only $5 more. I think Southern California people are paying 104 for a one day ticket, although they get a bigger discount on multi-day tickets. So there are some discounts, but that's really for their very low peak season. I'm going right after they're closing a bunch of rides for refurbishment, things like that. So, you know, when you do get those cheaper ticket opportunities, it tends to be with a trade-off. You're going to have more things closed and uh, more stuff like that. And it's sort of sad to think that I was excited for a $109 one-day ticket plus $25 to add Genie Plus. And that got me all excited like it was a good deal when I just think back to what you would have paid seven or eight years ago, uh, you know, certainly less than half of that. So. Uh, it's, it's all, I guess, relative, but yeah, it's sad to see that I had forgotten that the magic keys had sold out even the top tier one, which wasn't that like $1,500, 1600, I think before tax, although I'm not sure California charges tax on their tickets. At least they don't on their, um, Disneyland two or three day tickets, but yeah, it's a, that's a lot of money. I, I kind of felt bad. Like when they went on sale, I hit up my friend who lives in Southern California and I was like, by the way, these went on sale. Um, and he bought them for his family of four, kind of not thinking about it. So my buddy dropped like almost $7,000 on these annual passes. And I'm like, I really hope, buddy, that you <laughs> go to Disneyland enough to enjoy it. Um, and I apologize. I mean, we're really close. So I don't think he would blame me for it. But I felt a little bad uh, alerting him to it. Oh, and he had got a sister to buy them too for her family. So I couldn't even commission those. It was so frustrating. No, I'm just kidding. But uh, yeah, I felt I felt bad about that a little bit. It's a lot of money. You'd almost have to like live at Disneyland just to get your money back. And it's not like the food is cheap and there's been other cutbacks, you know, portion sizes are smaller. So a lot of the value has been eroded and all those little kind of tricks and things that people did to save money, you know, going, I remember back in the day, you could leave California adventure and go to the grand Californian and their snack bar there had really good food. And it was about 30% less for the same food that you could get in the park. 
things like that have been eroded over the years. And yeah, just, just to eat a meal there is, is quite a lot, which brings me to like how you guys are saving on Disney because everybody out there, you know, there used to be so many ways to use points for Disney and other opportunities to save. It seems like there are less of them now. I have uh, taken the strategy over the years of just sort of collecting Disney gift cards when I find a good discount. Uh, thankfully, about two years ago, there was a way to, I forget exactly what it was, but to cash in thank you points to shop your way and then eventually to Walmart and then to use that on Sam's Club to get Disney gift cards. And so I was able to indirectly cash in thank you points at a about 20% better value than I, if I just booked directly with Disney. And so I kind of built up a stash of gift cards that I'm still working through. I know some people use Sam's Club uh, to buy Disney gift cards, maybe 10% off sometimes or one-off deals at the grocery store. Is that the main way to save on Disney these days is to find the gift cards at a discount and then you can combine them at DisneyGiftCard.com and sort of manage all your gift card balances there? Yeah, that's right. I mean, for the ticket part of your purchase, the best way that you're going to save money is going to be with discounted Disney gift cards. Um, shameless plug time. Joe wrote a post actually on my site on Trips with Tykes that um, has some of the latest that we're going to be updating um, eventually and try to keep that current. But yeah, you really just have to sort of look at the groups. Sometimes people will post if they found some sort of an extra deal. I mean, there's always, of course, the target 5% off with red card, which is the absolute low hanging fruit. So at the very least, if I don't have time to do anything else, I'm just going to swing by target and grab a couple hundred dollars before I go. And, you know, I'm using that to save on dining within the park. Um, you know, I'm using that, of course, you know, if I'm purchasing Genie day of, you're saving because you're getting the discounted, you know, price as well to pay for it. You can you can now use Disney gift cards in the apps, in the Disneyland and Disney World apps to pay, but it doesn't save your card number. So you have to, I often just sort of copy the card number into notes on my phone and copy and paste it to <laughs> make it easier because that's another little like extra step that you have to do. But, you know, mostly what I try to do at this point is I'm trying to save big on flights and hotels for my Disney trips and the tickets cost what the tickets cost and the food cost what the food costs. And if I can get some savings around the margins, that's great. But I'm using everything else for my flights and when I stay off property for my hotels as well. Yeah, here's where Disneyland comes in clutch again, because I would say, you know, and people disagree with this. And I know, Sean, you generally don't stay on site at Walt Disney World, but I appreciate staying on site at Walt Disney World and being in the bubble. But that's a huge premium to pay cash wise and you can't use points at all you can of course stay with points at walt disney world at an off-site hotel but i don't like dealing with shuttles and things like that so to me it's a downgrade to stay on points of course you save the money though at walt disney world however at disneyland you could, there's so many points hotels you can stay at i know leslie really likes the courtyard marriott uh there is a new West End that opened up that's for Bonvoy people, but there's like, I don't know if it's Hyatt Place or Hyatt House, one of those, maybe both, but you know, there are Hyatt options. Um, there's Holiday Inn. So there are all these offsite options that you can use points to pay for, but they're also all within walking distance of Disneyland. And again, this is why the compactness of Disneyland really comes through very well. And so to me, if I was saying offsite at Disneyland, I don't feel like I'm losing out as much. I lose like half an hour in the morning because um, they just brought back 
early morning magic or whatever that's called. Aside from that, like I can still walk to the parks in 10, 15 minutes, you know, and save hundreds and hundreds, no, thousands of dollars really on a longer stay um, by using points. You know, I'm all up for that at Disneyland. So Walt Disney World does have a number of on-site points hotels that are third-party hotels, but they're considered to be on-site. Some of them are at Downtown Disney or Disney Springs. Oh my God, I can't believe I called it Downtown Disney. But like you have a Holiday Inn, you have several Hiltons. There's also what a new JW Marriott that's on property. There's the Hilton and Waldorf Astoria and Bonnet Creek. So there are a number of that. And plus you also have the Swan and Dolphin and the Swan Reserve over on property as well. Those are more Bonvoy properties. So what benefits are you conveyed staying in those like third-party on-site hotels at Walt Disney World? And are those a good sort of middle ground between paying the high prices? Because we keep talking about Disney raising prices, right? And their hotel prices have become astronomical. You used to be able to get deals sort of in the off-season. And I don't know, when I look at prices for even their mid-tier hotels at Disney, it just doesn't seem worth it. People who listen to the show know a long time, I don't think Disney knows how to run hotels. I think that they're garbage when it comes to hotels. And they're charging... $900 a night for a $150 hotel room, but people pay it. So that's, that's their prerogative. I'd rather probably stay at the Waldorf or JW or something like that. If I could get some benefit, they have gingerbread houses, Sean. Um, so those can visit them for free. You can visit them for free. Oh, you can't now. They won't let you in the parking lot. (laughs) Disney's they figured it all out, Sean. So the tricky thing about like on site at Walt Disney world is Disney world is like its own city. So whether it's within the boundaries or not, I do not like any of those hotels you mentioned. I do not like their shuttles because they only run like once an hour. Whereas that, not that I like Disney buses, but they run more consistently. That being said, that is a decent middle ground. Um, and you get what on-site property guests would get, which is the 30 minutes early entry to all the parks, which really does help to be with the crowds. Now, Swan and Dolphin, I think, is the best example of a points property um, and i shouldn't have ignored that because swan and dolphin is walkable and the swan reserve now too is walkable to epcot and hollywood studios so you have that proximity and you also get the 30 minutes early and you also get uh two days a week some of the parks are open an extra two hours which is really great for a line so if you get swan and dolphin um, a lot of people will get swan and dolphin on like corporate rates um or you know if they're there for a convention i just saw a buddy of mine has the uh, dolphin for 189 because he's taking 189 a night because his daughters are in like a dance competition or something like that. So those are great times to use the Swan and Dolphin. And of course, you can book them on points too. And I have five Bonvoy free night certificates that I got on one of Jess's credit cards that she doesn't know I signed up for that, you know, I'm holding out for Swan or Dolphin stays. Nice. And the, the thing about the the shuttles is I agree with you. It does kind of stink, especially like the Disney Springs area hotels, I stayed at the Holiday Inn there last year. And what I like to do and what I've done is, you know, it's kind of easy to sort of schedule yourself in the morning to what their shuttle is. So we usually will just take the shuttle to the park and then you can just Uber back. And considering, you know, you're saving some money, that works too. And it's actually really nice to stay near Disney Springs because then you have a lot of uh, all the shopping and dining and everything else there. But I do think the points (laughs) hotels are a good middle ground Sorry for calling the Disney hotels trash. The Disney hotels themselves, like the lobbies and a lot of those areas are really nice. But Disney has done a couple of things. First off, they don't know how to do housekeeping. They don't know how to run hotels. Second, even in their deluxe properties, they're de-theming so much and they're putting character overlays. 
For example, at the Contemporary Resort, it's now basically the Incredibles Resort, and the furniture looks incredibly cheap. Laminate furniture, you know, it's just really not very nice for $900 a night. So you're really paying for location. We loved you're not it, paying. We, we just stayed there. We loved it. But yes, a lot of people don't like it. And I, I recognize that our contemporary, um, and it's, it's really also a function of my kids feelings on it. But I recognize that my view of the contemporary, we just recorded an episode about it in December is higher than most people. But, uh, yeah, I, I, I can see where I can see where you're coming from. It's a fair point. Well, the hotel is a mess, right? Cause parts of the hotel date back to the 1980s. So you have that very like Eisner era stuff. And then, yeah, it's character, of course, Sean. now you have, it's now you character. have incredible. I think the one thing people should understand about staying at Disney hotels is they do not own a luxury hotel. There is not a luxury hotel that is a Disney owned hotel on property, not their flagship Grand Floridian, which they're going to be renovating now and probably adding Beauty and the Beast and all kinds of stuff to the rooms. And, you know, not any of those hotels. They're nice. I think the Polynesian's probably the nicest of Disney's hotels. And you have things like Animal Kingdom Lodge with these grand lobbies and animals outside and really cool things. But if you look at what you're going to pay for that room, you could stay at, you know, in many cases at a four or five star hotel for half the price on some nights. And is it worth it to be on the monorail line? For a lot of people like Joe, it is. But uh, I'm going to get off my soapbox because we're going long here. And I do want you guys to tell me what are the options for booking Disney with points these days? Other than the hotels, are there options to get tickets? Are there options to save in other ways using miles and points? There really aren't. It's I Leslie nailed it. It's like tickets and flights. If you have a Capital One Venture card and you buy your tickets through Getaway Today, um, I'll plug for Leslie. If you check out her Disneyland with Kids Facebook group or Disney World with Kids Facebook group, they have uh, affiliate links for Getaway Today, which you'll save. Again, we're talking dozens of dollars, not significant amounts. But if you buy tickets through Undercover Tourist or Getaway Today with VentureX, you can zap them off using your miles because they code as travel. But other than that, there is really hard to use. You used to be able to use Chase Ultimate Rewards points to buy tickets and buy Disney hotels. You can't do any of that anymore. I mean, you can do some pay yourself back shenanigans at 1.25x like you're buying Disney gift card from grocery and stuff like that. But it's just not the same. (laughs) It's like the best thing to do is maximize your cash back on your purchases. And then, like you said, like we said before, um, save on buying those Disney gift cards because it is and we're talking super thin margins, like restaurant level margins uh, when you're trying to save money at Disney. Anything to add, Leslie? No, just no, a, just a wah, wah, wah. I, I know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to disappoint. But I mean, we've just seen this evolution happen and it's only gotten worse since the pandemic. If you want to go to, to Disney, Florida, California, you can save some money. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Uh, I mean, you just got to be prepared to pay a certain amount of money. There's a baseline amount of money you are going to have to pay to go to a Disney destination, period. We need Delta Vacations to run another deal where we can cash in our miles at two cents each. Because I still, I still have about $2,000 in Walt Disney World credit that I have to apply towards tickets because back when they did that, I, I bought the most expensive tickets with everything loaded on, you know, park hopping, everything. They've since expired, obviously, but you get the credit for what you paid for them. And so I, that's what I'm going to be using in a few weeks, although I have to go there to use it, but that's another story. And then I still have my Delta Vacations voucher, which was originally supposed to be for Alani, which I think I'm going to use for Disney Cruise this year. So that's how I'm saving on Disney is basically I went all in on a deal two years ago and got or more than two years ago and got lucky. 
and also stockpiled as Disney gift cards. But at some point that runs out and then it becomes painful. Then you're paying real money, whether you're using a cash eraser card or you could use that money for something else. It's still a real cost, even if you're using miles and points or cash back or whatever to pay for it. Totally agree. All right. So let's close out by maybe we'll do it this way. Let's close out with you guys each giving your favorite tip for Walt Disney World and Disneyland. So it can be a tip about anything, just something to kind of leave in listeners' minds. So our standard tip is understand what a sunk cost is. And once you've spent all this money, don't like, uh, bottom line is don't force your kids to do things that they don't want to do because you spent all this money because you're just going to have a miserable trip overall. But I'm pretty sure we said that last time. Uh, My Walt Disney World tip would be to really enjoy wandering around at certain times. And this goes along with not pushing too hard and enjoying like a parade or a show or the ambiance, all those things that I talked about. Um, it really helps to round out the experience and make it feel like you're not at a Six Flags. Um, it's it's those things that Disney still does very well. And especially now that the parades are back and almost to full strength and the characters are back, you know, that's the stuff that you can get at Disney Park that you can't get elsewhere. You know, you can ride a mine train type car anywhere, but that Disney experience um, you can't get. And my advice for Disneyland is however you can do it, get on Radiator Springs Racers. It is uh, probably my favorite. Dis- I said Rise of the Resistance before, but I forgot. Oh, because I was waiting for you to ask about our favorite Disneyland attraction. And uh, Radiator Springs Racers definitely is one of the best Disney attractions in the world. Totally agree. So my tip, I guess, is good for both parks. And this is very Leslie um, (laughs) because I love logistics. But, you know, for folks who feel like they can't get their travel hacking in and saving money at Disney, um, you can get your travel hacking in by hacking lines. You know, you can at least you're going to pay for it, but you can at least sort of get that same thrill that you get um, by beating everybody else through the lines. And so my, my tip is really know the order in which you need to book attractions with Genie Plus to maximize it. There's definitely like rides like we talked about, Slinky Dog Dash goes quickly in the morning. There are the same kind of rides at Disneyland. Indiana Jones, for example, is the first ride you should book because it's going to run out more quickly than other attractions. Worst ride. (laughs) I hate that ride. (laughs) They're closing it for a renovation, so uh, folks will get a little bit of a break from that one. People hate hate me for this take, but sorry. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, so I think you can still sort of scratch that itch if you really like, um, finding ways to beat everybody else at Disney. And that's sort of the thrill of it for me. you know, I'm paying for the privilege, but I do feel like I, um, satisfy that element of my personality by understanding all of the hacks with Genie Plus. So, so learn that, take time to learn that and you'll have a great vacation if you like rides. Yeah. It's a good reminder that at Disney World, it is where the phrase time is money. You actually like can see it play out in real time. Um, and time is money there. And that is, I, th- I think that's why a lot of travel hackers enjoy Disney world because they feel like they can not get one over at Disney because they know that they're spending all this money, but you know, you feel accomplished when you're able to navigate the nooks and crannies of the system. And if you're already paying that much money for everything, then yeah, make sure you give yourself the opportunities to, to do that, pay the extra for Genie Plus if you're in the park where it makes sense and your day is going to be, you know, sort of planned that way. I feel like in this hobby, especially people can be cheap when they're not supposed to be. And I feel like at Disney, unfortunately, there's no way to be cheap anymore. 
you know, you want to get the best experience. And the people who just show up there at the last minute don't have any idea what the systems are. And I know there's that's got to be half the people at Walt Disney World just showing up. They don't know how to use Genie Plus. They're not going to have as good a day as the person who does their research, make sure that they have all the tools in their arsenal to uh, to knock it out of the park. And just to close, Joe, you said Radiator Springs Racers. You know, Disneyland, you say how compact it is, right? It's just a very small area in the middle of a city that has been built around it. And so there's times where you're in Disneyland or California Adventure, and you can, especially California Adventure, you can feel, you know, the the area outside there. You can see it. You can sort of understand it. But I think the finest area in all the Disney parks in the U.S., you're in the San Francisco area, California Adventure, and you start walking into to uh, Radiator Springs and or into Cars Land. And just the, you start seeing the canyons and, and the mountains. And if you didn't know you were in a theme park, you would think that they were real. That's how well they've recreated that world. And so, yeah, another vote for Radiator Springs Racers. Definitely a top five uh, Disney attraction in the world and unique because it's only in Disney's California Adventure. So, or Disney California Adventure. There's no apostrophe S anymore. Sorry about that. But thank you guys for, for joining me. So you guys do Disney Deciphered. Is it every week? It is indeed every week. Yeah. And I heard from Joe that you guys were recently uh, launched on YouTube as well, right? Where can people find the podcast? Everywhere that they can find it. So you can find it everywhere you can find podcasts. Uh, you can also find it on YouTube slash at Disney Deciphered. And yeah, if you have listened to us before, we really appreciate it if you could like and subscribe on YouTube since uh, we're just growing that channel. But our audio version has been around for four or five years now. Like Leslie was saying, you got to learn all the rules to hack your way through Disney um, since you can't hack your way through savings as much as you used to be able to. Um, so check out Disney Deciphered. You know, that's the whole reason why that podcast exists. Um, and another quick plug is everyone knows I'm a travel agent, but, you know, it's funny. I didn't think people needed travel agents before the pandemic, and they kind of didn't. But now the number of questions that you have and just the chance to talk to someone so that you can have a plan going in and that someone being me or any other travel agent, really, um, it does it does make a difference. And it, the costs are baked in to the Disney vacation already. So you don't pay any extra. Um, and so, you know, Joseph Chung at Travelmation.net, if you're thinking of going to Disneyland at any time this year or next year or Disney World. Sorry, Disney World. And Leslie, how can people get in touch with you? If they want to ask questions or where can they find your best Disney content? So I am uh, tripswithtikes.com. A lot of my stuff is on the blog and Joe does occasionally write a, a Walt Disney World article or two for me. So you get kind of both of us there um, when it comes to Disney. And I'm Trips with Tykes everywhere on social media. I'm most active on Twitter at the moment, but <laughs> who knows how long that will last and uh, Instagram as well. Well, I feel like we could have talked for another hour about this. I feel like I left so much on the table, uh, but I really appreciate both of you guys coming again and, and doing this and helping the MTM listeners. Of course, Joe is here pretty much every week anyway, so I just uh, forced him into it. But I really appreciate, Leslie, you coming on and, and helping us uh, get our grasp of Disney in 2023. I'm excited. I probably will get to four or five of the Disney resorts this year, uh, probably Japan, Paris for sure. Uh, Hong Kong is is looking better 
I don't know about Shanghai though, but uh, I'm excited for my Disney year because in 2019 I did that six, all six of them in six weeks, and really did it. And COVID kind of stole my Disney thunder, so I'm excited to get back in the parks, see what Disney is doing, even if it's going to cost me more than ever before. If you like this show, don't forget to subscribe in your favorite podcast app. You can find links, everything for this show at mtmpodcast.com. Thanks so much for listening. Happy New Year. Talk to you next time. Bye. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media, source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 